0: good morning colleagues uh welcome to grand rounds uh this is one of our uh very special commemorative grand rounds and, and this one we created a number of years ago uh to remember uh, those events that happened eight years ago on december 14th where a day late today uh, it was yesterday where the uh, tremendous tragedy at uh, at sandy hook took place and and we we can never forget and i, I pledged this chair that we would always have Grand Rounds every year uh, during my tenure here that would remember the kids and, and what happened and the teachers uh, who died at, at Sandy Hook. And, uh, and so we always have a guest who will provide uh, a, a relevant topic that's, uh, uh, that will help us deal with that grief and that loss. And of course, this comes in the midst of, of tremendous loss and grief uh, during you know, this pandemic, which has claimed over 300,000 lives uh, of our fellow citizens. I, I read a statistic today that uh, an American dies from COVID every 40 seconds. Uh, so you just think of that. You know, By the time we finish this presentation, uh, how many individuals would have passed as a result of COVID? But amongst that, they, there's always hope. And I think we'll hear from that today uh, with, the, with the superhero therapy title uh, that will be given by, uh, by Dr. Scarlett. Uh, I think should bring us hope. And that's what's really important. And speaking of hope, today, I just got a call from, uh, uh, from our pharmacy that uh, the vaccine allotment that is coming to Connecticut Children's, uh, 975 doses, the initial one, uh, it's here. It's actually arrived. And so it's getting moved to our pharmacy. It's an 80-pound box with lots of dry ice to keep it at minus 80 uh, centigrade, which is the requirement for the vaccine. And we will begin vaccination here at Connecticut Children's on Thursday. Uh, many of you have already received that email, that uh, you're, in the, you're in the highest risk uh, category in terms of individuals who are working in the special isolation unit, in the critical care unit, uh, in the delivery room, in the emergency department, in areas uh, that, are, that have a, a high number of COVID patients. And th- that's the, the first group. Uh, about 975 individuals are in those categories, and then very soon, very soon after, we'll be rolling out the what we call the list 1B, which is uh, again the list of the people that are not working in those units but are also going to be with patient contact. And then soon after that, we'll have the the third and final list for all 2,600 employees at Connecticut Children's, and then we'll begin to offer this vaccine, obviously uh, in parallel. Uh, many of you who are pediatricians in the community. Uh, we'll have access to the vaccine as well par, uh, as part of our network, and uh, in, in not just here at Connecticut Children's, but in many other sites. The hope is to have uh, all healthcare team members mm. at Connecticut Children's and here in the state of Connecticut vaccinated by the end of January, uh, which is a big undertaking. Uh, the health department has shared with us that they have close to half a million doses of vaccines coming our way. Requires two, two shots. We'll begin this week. So the vaccine I see as hope, and uh, our superhero therapy is... The hope for, for the sense of loss and trauma, which we've all gone through uh, this past year and certainly uh, eight years ago in that tragic day, I still remember as if it was today, very, very sad day. Uh, with that, I'm uh, gonna thank uh, Ken Spiegelman for being such a champion for this particular Grand Rounds. Uh, uh, Ken, uh, uh, who is you know just a, an unbelievably wonderful uh, pediatrician in our community, a member of our team here in the CME office, has always been a champion for this. And somehow he knows the most incredible people that can give great lectures and, and uh, are great communicators. And, and today he managed to um, wake up Dr. Scarlett uh, uh, and she's uh, logging in from San Diego. So it's uh, 8, 8.05 here, it's 5.05 there, which means she probably had to get up uh, about you know half an hour or maybe 40 minutes ago, maybe a little bit longer. And so she's, uh, so thank you for being up uh, early morning hours in, on the West Coast, maybe a little bit warmer than here as the snow's coming our way for Thursday. Uh, so I'm gonna pass it on to Dr. Spiegelman. Again, thank you, Ken, for all that you do for Connecticut Children's and for all the kids and and just for being such a, a great friend and, and um, our own superhero. So Ken, take it on.
1: Thank you so much, Juan. I wanted to also thank Dr. Roth Saul, and the Department of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry from the IOL for helping us sponsor this Grand Rounds today. You know it's been eight years since the tragedy of Sandy Hook and every year we have set aside a Grand Rounds to remember those who lost their lives by bringing educational programs that touch on the issues of loss, PTSD, and the need for improved mental health services. This is made especially more poignant during the urgency of this pandemic year. We have two great speakers today. Our first speaker, Senator Chris Murphy, needs no introduction. Senator Murphy has been one of the strongest supporters for the mission of CCMC and mental health reform. Because of his needs in Congress right now, he has sent us a video. Our second speaker is Dr. Janina Scarlett, and there's a story behind the speaker. Approximately two months ago, I was reading my favorite newspaper, The New York Times, And an article appeared by a woman named Megan Margotis. Megan grew up on the Upper West Side of New York. And she just wrote a book (coughs) called My Captain America about her grandfather, Joe Simon, who grew up on the Lower West Side. And uh, Joe Simon developed and created comic strips. He created Captain America, which was a superhero that children could get behind and feel empowered during the rise of Hitler during World War II. In fact, this comic strip, Captain America, to my surprise, was created in 1939. And there's actually a comic strip of Captain America punching out Hitler to make kids feel a little bit stronger during that stressful time. And I called up Megan, contacted her to see if she could come and speak at CCMC. She said she could, but she had someone even better than herself which is Dr. Scarlett, who is Dr. Scarlett. Dr. Scarlett is a licensed clinical psychologist, an author, a presenter on TED Talks. She is a Ukrainian-born refu- a refugee, a, sur- a survivor of Chernobyl, persecution and radiation, and emigrated from the Soviet Union to our country here. She is the grandchild of Holocaust survivors. She immigrated at the age of 12 and later, inspired by the x men comics, developed superhero uh, therapy to help patients with anxiety and PTSD, learning to become heroes of their own journey. Dr. Scarlett has received her PhD from the City City University of New York. She is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Eleanor Roosevelt Human Rights Award given by the United States nations. Her work has been featured in, in the New York Times, Ted Talks, BBC, Forbes and BuzzFeed, just to name a few. She currently works at the Center for Distress and Anxiety Management in San Diego, from where she is zooming in. And as Juan said today, we are grateful, especially at 5am. And I wanted to thank you so much for uh, we spoke to you at length yesterday. Uh, Dr. Scarlett will be making a donation of books, and certain plush animals to our child life department at CCMC to help us deal with many of our own children dealing with trauma. So thank you so much for coming.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored.
1: Turn it over to you right now, Dr. Scarlett. We have the video now, uh,
0: Ken. so we'll, go, we'll have the oh, yeah. video.
1: We're, sorry, we're, we're, we're gonna do Dr. Murphy's. Uh, we're gonna do C- Senator Murphy's. Senator Murphy. <laughs> Hey,
3: everybody. Chris Murphy, U.S. Senator from Connecticut. A thank you to my friends at CCMC for focusing on this issue of community needs uh, in the aftermath of shootings. Obviously, this has been a very a tough year uh, a a real bad summer and fall in hartford and it's to be expected Um, what we know is that violence tracks poverty and desperation and there's been a lot of both throughout this pandemic Uh, what we also know is that there are 20 diagnosable instances of trauma on average uh, after a gun homicide Uh, and kids who are growing up in these violent neighborhoods their brains are changed as you know Uh, by the flood of cortisol that gets released uh, going through daily fight uh, or flight instincts. Um, This um, obviously commands a response from Congress. We've got to take these illegal weapons off the streets. We've got to provide a pathway for economic advancement. Uh, to people who live in these neighborhoods, but obviously there's a healthcare component here as well, making sure that we're providing wraparound services um, a- as wide and far as possible uh, when there is a shooting, uh, making sure that we're being proactive to you know, go out and, and find these family members and these friends um, so that we can uh, address the early stages of trauma, but also so that we can try to um, put a put a block in the way of the cycle of violence that often plays out. So thank you to CCMC for focusing on this question. I obviously want to be a partner with you in any way that I can as we try to develop policies to deal with the uh, unfortunately um, enormous spillover of trauma that happens in the wake of shootings. Thanks a lot. Look forward to partnering with all of you.
2: All right. Well, thank you. And good morning, everyone. Um, If I, uh, I'm just going to take a moment here and screen share. So in, in my work with incorporating pop culture into therapy, what I've realized is that not only does every fictional character have an origin story, but every human has an origin story too. And for most people, their origin story begins with a trauma. My own origin story began in this beautiful city, Vinitsa, in Ukraine, where when I was just a few months shy of my third birthday, there was a massive explosion just a few cities away from us at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. And what that meant for me and for a lot of people was spending a lot of my childhood in and out of hospitals, just like this one. What made my life better were the kind and caring doctors that were there. But the truth is, a lot of time, I was wondering if I would ever make it to adulthood. The Chernobyl radiation poisoning made my immune system shut down completely to where I couldn't battle even a simple cold. My nose would get frequent nosebleeds that that wouldn't clot. And the side effect that is still present to this day is that whenever the weather changes, I get severe migraines, which sometimes lead to seizures. And I remember being in that hospital bed and just dreaming that I had some kind of superpowers or magical abilities to heal not only myself, but to heal every child in that hospital, to give them some kind of hope and meaning. Well, tensions grew when Soviet Union broke up, and that's when rates of Semitism became extremely high and my family and I were targeted. Um, So we were able to move to United States when I was 12 years old as refugees. I don't know how many of you remember being 12 or being in seventh grade. I always joke that we should have some kind of adult survivors of seventh grade support group um, because the truth is middle school can be an extremely challenging time. And like a lot of students of that age, I was severely bullied. Kids would ask me if I am radioactive, if I am contagious, or my personal favorite, do you glow in the dark? Well, after a while, I started saying that I'm working on it, but the truth is most of that year I wanted to die. It wasn't because of the bullying. It was because I felt utterly and incredibly alone. I thought I was some kind of a freak. I thought erroneously that I was the only one struggling with depression, waking up from nightmares. I thought that made me weak or crazy. And a few years later, I saw a movie that forever changed my life. And that movie was the X-Men. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the X-Men, but in case you're not, the X-Men are this group of superheroes or mutants, if you will, each of which has some kind of a genetic mutation that allows them to have certain powers and abilities. And in fact, some of the X-Men kind of like Wolverine here, have also been exposed to radiation, which is how they develop their powers. And some of them like Storm, for example, have a unique connection with the weather kind of like I do. Now, you see, my whole life, I felt controlled by the weather. But Storm has a unique ability to control the weather herself. And somehow, watching this inspired me. Somehow, in watching this, I was able to recognize that what happened to me was an origin story. It didn't define me. It was just a jumping off point. But the rest of it was up to me. I saw the X-Men banding together and standing up against prejudice, including anti-Semitism. I I saw the X-Men supporting one another in their own trauma. I saw every single one of them being scarred by the memories of their past, but also inspired by the pain that they went through in order to be able to help other people. And as I looked around the completely sold out movie theater, everybody as engrossed in the movie as I was, pretty much anyone I could see with tears in their eyes, it hit me that I was not alone. That maybe not everyone in that movie theater was exposed to nuclear radiation exposure, but perhaps everyone there knew what it was like to feel alone. Perhaps everyone there was exposed to something traumatic Maybe everyone lost someone that they care about, or everyone had struggled with depression or anxiety. And that's when I realized that stories give us a voice when we have none, that stories can be used as a bridge to help not only, uh, not only our clients, for example, but help ourselves to understand what we're going through. They can give us a vocabulary, a mirror into our own experience so that we can start to form connections when we feel most alone. And so years later, when I was now doing my postdoctoral training, I was working at Camp Pendleton. It it is a Marine base. So it it is a, a military Marine base in San Diego. And I was working with Marines who had just returned from Afghanistan and Iraq. And just about every single one of them, would say something along the lines of, you know, Doc, I just wanted to be Superman. but I feel like I failed. And it would, I I would feel gutted, you know, because these incredible individuals who've seen some of the most terrible tragedies that you might be able to imagine, believe themselves to be a failure for developing a mental health disorder just like a lot of the people that you're working with. And I don't only mean clients because the truth is a lot of times when we're going through a trauma, we might also shame ourselves for the response that we're having to that traumatic experience. So this is when my geeky knowledge started showing up and I would ask them, well, is Superman truly invincible or does he have any kind of vulnerability? I don't. I don't know if any of you are familiar with kryptonite, uh, but kryptonite is essentially Superman's vulnerability. He's almost allergic to it, if you will. In small quantities, kryptonite weakens Superman's powers and in large quantities it can kill him. And so every single client that I was working with knew this and would say, well, yeah, he's vulnerable to kryptonite. And then I would ask, Well, just because Superman is vulnerable to kryptonite, does that make him any less of a superhero? Now they were all quick to jump to Superman's defense and they would say, of course not. And there would usually be a pause and then a light bulb and then a smile. And then they would say, okay, I see what you did there. Because the truth is everyone including fictional superheroes, including real heroes that we love and look up to, has a vulnerability of their own. And it is not despite of that vulnerability, it's because of it that we care. We don't want to read some comic book or watch a movie about some overpowered superhero that easily defeats all villains and saves the day. No, we want to read about a superhero that faces multiple obstacles a hero that doesn't think that they can win, a hero that gets out of bed even when it's hard, a hero just like you. And so in recognizing how many of my clients were struggling with severe trauma, I realized that clients of all ages, from little children to adults, need some kind of a language to allow them to talk about what they're going through. And that language in the United States can be the language of pop culture. And so I started incorporating pop culture, uh, from books, television shows, movies, and even video games into, into evidence-based therapies like cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, et cetera, to help people become the heroes of their own journey. As I mentioned, this therapy has now been done with people of all ages. It is now being done on a universal basis in uh, many countries around the world, in many different clinics and hospitals, and even prisons to help people learn how to be the hero of their own journey. And the most important lesson of superhero therapy is that you don't have to be the expert in pop culture. You don't have to read 80 years worth of Batman comics to talk to your clients about Batman. All you have to be is open-minded and curious. Your client is the expert in pop culture. You are the expert in your specific branch of medicine, mental health, or social work. And together as partners, you can work to help the client embrace their own journey. Why is this important? Well, during most difficult times of their lives, most people tend to feel alone and never has that been more true than it is during the time of a global pandemic. And sometimes we might feel even worse in social situations. If, for example, we're going through a hard time and everybody else around us seems to be smiling and appears to be having a good time, which is even harder to gauge over Zoom or on social media, this incongruency can make us feel disconnected. And that feeling of disconnection can make us feel ashamed. I actually want to differentiate between shame and guilt for a moment, because those two emotions get confused sometimes. Shame says, I am bad. I'm not good enough. I'm worthless and unlovable. Shame makes us feel bad about ourselves as a whole, as a person. Whereas guilt is feeling bad about a specific action. So in some situations, guilt can actually be helpful because it can teach us what to do and what not to do. For example, it can teach us not to say hurtful things in the middle of an argument, even when we're upset. Shame, on the other hand, tends to be maladaptive. Shame can lead to people withdrawing and disconnecting from others right when they need help the most. Shame researcher Brene Brown says we deny our loneliness. We feel shame around being lonely, even when it's caused by grief, loss, and heartbreak. And that means for so many of you, or your colleagues, or your patients, they might shame themselves for the very grief and trauma that they're going through. And the less we talk about it, the more we feel it. And the way that shame shows up in mental health is that it is the underlying mechanism of every mental health disorder. Because when people shame themselves about their symptoms, they're not likely to ask for help. We know that PTSD rates are spiking now, not only in the United States, but around the world. And they're likely to continue spiking after the pandemic as well, we're facing an international mental health crisis where clients are not able to receive the mental health appointments that they so desperately need because most mental health professionals are booked out for weeks or months on end right now. The goal of superhero therapy is to help clients to make therapy non-threatening and approachable using a language that they're already familiar with. It might mean that We need to be flexible with our approach, whether you're a medical provider, a mental health provider, a social worker, allowing our clients to feel welcomed in this kind of a setting can make a world of a difference using their culture. And yes, I argue that pop culture is a culture and and our clients' passions and strengths as their core values can allow those clients to feel more understood and supported. Using stories like Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Avengers can allow people to feel hope. Now, I mentioned earlier that you don't have to be the expert in pop culture, and that's true. Even if you know virtually nothing about Harry Potter, Star Wars, or Avengers, you can still be very effective to your clients simply by being open-minded and curious. couple of years ago, I taught a course at Alliance International University in San Diego. This was a course for doctoral level students who were on their way to receiving PhDs in clinical psychology to become psychologists. And the course was on superhero therapy. And every week we would talk about different fandom, different element of pop culture, like Harry Potter is one fandom, one franchise, Star Wars is another, Avengers is another. And we would talk about how these particular uh, fandoms uh, depicted mental health. And there were a couple of students in that course that had not really been familiar with pop culture previously. One of them was a student from Kenya. He'd not been previously exposed to Harry Potter, Batman or Star Wars. And so one particular week, we talked about Marvel superheroes. So these include Avengers, X-Men, and Spider-Man. And then the following week, this student, let's call him Alex, but that's not his real name. Alex received his first ever practicum patient. And it could not have been a more challenging case for somebody who was already anxious, for somebody that is just starting out their clinical experience, their clinical training So Alex's first patient was a 15 year old girl who had been fought, passed from foster care to foster care. She'd been in trouble and, and kicked out of multiple schools. And when she saw him and she heard his accent, and she also saw that he was a little bit older, she said, I'm not working with you. I'm guessing she made an assumption that he wouldn't understand her being a little bit older than her and from a different culture. So Alex said, I understand and we don't have to work together, but would you be willing to give me just one chance? Just one session, and if you don't like working with me, you're more than welcome to transfer to someone else." So she said, okay. And I'm guessing that she expected him to ask why she was in trouble at school again that day, which she was. But instead, Alex just asked, well, what kind of movies, books, TV shows are you into? What do you like? And she said, I like Ant-Man. Now we didn't talk about Ant-Man in our class. We didn't have time. There was no time to get to all the topics. So Alex had no idea who Ant-Man was. So he simply said, who's Ant-Man? And she said, oh, you know, he's this superhero. And sometimes he fights alongside the Avengers. And Alex said, oh yeah, I heard a little bit about the Avengers. I just learned about them. I, I know there's Hulk and Captain America. And she lit up, you know, just that he knew that much. And she said, yeah, and Ant-Man is one of them. And she said that Ant-Man can make himself really small, like the size of an ant, or sometimes really big, like 60 feet tall. And Alex said, awesome. What do you like about Ant-Man? And she said, well, I guess I like that he can make himself so small that he can almost disappear. You know, because I feel like a lot of times the attention's on me. You know, I feel like people are just waiting for me to get into trouble. And Alex said, that makes sense. What were some of the times that you wished you had the superpower? And she told him. And he asked her what she would do with that superpower. And she told him. And he asked what she would do if she could join the Avengers. And by the end of the session, she requested to only work with him. Now, I think that was a pretty successful first ever session with his first ever client, don't you think? And the truth is, Alex knew absolutely nothing about Ant-Man, but he was willing to be open minded and curious to help his patient feel respected, supported, and understood to use her language rather than his own, rather than using psychology language, I mean, in order to help her feel supported in that session. We know that one of the symptoms of PTSD is shame, where people shame themselves for what happened to them, leading to them avoiding talking about what happened to them. And this kind of experiential avoidance, unfortunately, leads to prolonged suffering and worsening symptoms. But what we know is that if we can build a sense of common humanity, the idea that we're all human, we're all in this experience together, that we're not alone, this understanding can reduce shame. And so if we can reduce our client's shame by pointing out that every superhero and in, in, in every fantasy and sci-fi character also has a vulnerability... If we can show our clients that everyone goes through a hard time, everyone feels sick or scared or, fra- or uh, traumatized or depressed, by showing our clients that even fictional characters go through grief and other mental health struggles, we can take away that mental health stigma and can allow our clients' bite to open up. Now, we know about PTSD, and I imagine a lot of you are also familiar with the concept of post-traumatic growth a kind of positive change that happens to a lot of folks when they go through something traumatic. It refers to meaning-making and giving something back as, for example, the Sandy Hook Promise has done. It is a predictor of recovery and reduced symptomatology because a person develops a mission in a way. And I refer to post-traumatic growth as kind of like a hero's journey. We don't always choose the call that we get, but we can choose how we answer it. We can choose how we respond. And I love this quote by fantasy author, Neil Gaiman, who says that fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. And so we know that when we can find meaningful social connection that can make us feel more supported, more understood, and can restore health and functioning. And what we know through literature is that this kind of social connection can even be done through an introduction of a fictional character who has been through a similar experience to somebody else, to our clients, for example. And so I've developed this treatment model where we can help our patients to look at what happened to them as an origin story, helping them to understand that everyone, even their favorite heroes, have an origin story. In a moment, we're going to do a sample origin story exercise. It's completely optional, but if you would like to participate, feel free to do so. I also talk to clients about how some of their thoughts, feelings, and memories are kind of like internal monsters or internal dragons that they fight. Now, some people get up and go to bed, excuse me, get up and go to work. And other people have to fight like five dragons just to get out of bed. And so. If you're someone who's fighting like five dragons with one hand and doing your patient notes with another hand, then yeah, it's going to take you to do It's going to take you a little bit longer to do your patient notes because well, you're fighting dragons. And the truth is recognizing that we're fighting dragons, recognizing that we're facing monsters can take the shame of that experience out, can allow our clients to remember that actually in that moment, they're not being weak, they're being heroic. We can allow our clients to explore some of the ways in which their origin story initially created feelings of helplessness and setbacks, but then we can help them to find a heroic role model, maybe someone like Batman or someone like their teacher or someone like a historical figure or celebrity. We can teach them certain skills that, you know, many of you are experts in. So I'm not even going to go into th- things like mindfulness, for example. We can help our clients to define a sense of purpose. We can help them to think about what kind of a hero would they want to be. And then we can help them to take steps of becoming their own version of a superhero in real life, such as by helping the members of their community, by becoming a social justice warrior or sharing their story in order to inspire others so i would like to take you through a sample exercise if you're willing this exercise is completely optional and it is in three parts and if you would like to participate i'm going to encourage you to use either pen and paper or your computer or anything to write on or write with and you will not be required to share this with anyone else it is for your eyes only it is completely private and personal If you do not feel comfortable participating today, please honor your limits and uh, please do not feel obligated to participate. So if you're choosing to participate, I'm going to ask you to think about one element of your own origin story. It could be a terrible trauma or tragedy that you went through. It could be a series of painful events like years of bullying or abuse, or it could even be a positive event like getting a new job or having a child, which sometimes brings on certain stressors of its own. So if you're willing, write down one or two sentences about your own origin story. No need to go into details, just one or two sentences. So take about 30 to 60 seconds to do so. And now for the second part of this exercise, I'm going to ask you to think of a personal hero. This could be a real life hero, even if they're no longer alive, like a grandparent, maybe a teacher, a mentor that you've had. It could be a historical figure or a celebrity, or it could be a fictional character, somebody that is a figure of great inner strength, compassion, and wisdom. And if you can't think of anyone, then maybe you can think of Batman as a default. So take just a few moments to maybe write down the name of your own hero. And finally, for the last part of this exercise, I'm going to ask you to imagine that you have a few minutes alone with your hero and your hero knows your origin story. You don't even have to explain anything. Your hero already understands. Your hero sees how much you've been struggling. Your hero understands. Your hero also knows everything that you're hoping to do. Your hero sees all the difference that you're making in this world and everything that you've learned in your life, all the ways that you're teaching and inspiring others. And your hero has the most compassionate and supportive words of encouragement for you. And so if you're willing, please take about a minute or so to write down what your hero might say to you. Thank you so much for participating to the degree that you did. And so if you participated in this exercise, thank you for your courage. If you chose to sit out, thank you for your wisdom. Sometimes we need to honor ourselves and honor our bodies and listen to what we need. And what I wanted to say here is this, the bigger picture is not about what you do. It's about what you do for the world. It's having that external focus and that seems to be the key post-traumatic growth. That seems to be the key for managing even the most painful traumas. It's having some kind of a gift to give to other people. And that is what each and every one of you does on a daily basis. And if we can help our clients to find a gift of their own that they can give back, it could be an art piece. It could be sharing their story. It could be helping their community that is when we're creating a community of superheroes who just like Batman might be able to use their traumatic origin story to help other people. I want to take a few moments just to go over a case study about how this might look like in treatment. So a few years ago, I was working with a 15 year old girl. She had experienced years of bullying. She felt incredibly depressed. She went through a lot of trauma. She was engaging in self-injurious behaviors, and she felt very alone. When I would see her, she had a really hard time talking about her symptoms. In fact, she would normally insist that her father stay in a room during our sessions, and she would ask him to speak for her because she didn't want to talk about her mental health. The one thing she was willing to talk about was her favorite TV show, Veronica Mars, which if you have not seen it, I highly recommend it. But I had not seen it and I hadn't even heard of it when she first started telling me about it. She said that she felt really connected to the character of Veronica Mars. She said that Veronica Mars was a high school student who also was a really good detective and that she often felt alone. And she had experienced bullying and a lot of traumatic experiences too. And she felt really drawn to her. So in order to better connect with my client, I did something I don't normally do. I thought I'd go home and I would watch the pilot episode of Veronica Mars, the TV show, just to have a better understanding of what my client relates to. Well, that was fully my intention, except that I accidentally ended up watching the entire season in one night because the show is amazing. The TV show is about Veronica Mars, as I mentioned, a high school student by day and a detective by night. What makes the show really amazing is how relatable it is for a lot of teens. For Veronica, before the show even starts, she'd experienced just about every horrific thing that a teen can go through. For one, her best friend was shot and murdered. For two... Veronica herself had been sexually abused at a party. She was drugged and sexually assaulted. In addition, her parents were going through a divorce. Her mother was addicted to substances. Veronica uh, went through a harsh breakup. And now all of her friends hate her and make fun of her. And she has no one. She has no one to help her pick up the pieces. But what was really tremendous about the show wasn't just the trauma that Veronica went through. It's what she did with it. Veronica realized that she was really good at being a detective. And so she starts volunteering at her father's private investigative agency to help her father solve multiple murders, including spoiler, the murder of her best friend, and she starts helping multiple people in her school and her town and quickly essentially becomes a superhero of her own, helping people and finding her own healing in this work. So when I went back the following week to see my client, I said, I understand why you like the show. Because although Veronica went through a lot of really horrific things, she was able to find something she's good at and use it to help other people. She was able to find something she knows really well. So what do you have? What do you know? And I will never in my entire life forget this moment because she looked at me with these eyes full of tears and she said, I have depression and I said, okay. And are there any other students in your school that have depression? And she said, I don't know, maybe one or two. And I said, what would Veronica do? And She said, you know, Veronica wouldn't keep silent. She would try to do something about it. I don't know, maybe she'd, she'd make a speech. So now I was speechless because this was a girl that didn't want to talk about her mental health that would hide behind her father to speak for her. And I said, is this what you want to do? And she said, yes. And so we spent two weeks preparing and rehearsing and practicing. And then she did it. She stood up in front of her class and she gave a five minute speech about mental health. She talked about her own experiences with depression and bullying and self-harm. And she talked about what she went through. And she also said that she's in therapy and she's starting to feel better. And she said that if anyone is struggling, they can talk to her. If they just need a friend or if anyone has a question about mental health or how to find a therapist, they can talk to her too. And that was it. It was a five minute speech, but. It was a five-minute speech that single-handedly changed the conversation about mental health in her school. When she was done, all the students rushed over to her. Everyone was crying and everyone was sharing their own stories with her. And by the end of the week, it got out to the whole school and everyone was stopping her in the hallways and thanking her and sending messages to her. And in a few months, she started her school's own peer support mental health club, where students would meet and share their mental health struggles and support one another. And that was how that particular person became a superhero in real life by having this connection with her own fictional hero. And so what I wanted to tell you is this. You are the chosen one of your own journey. It has to be you. You are the one that makes a difference. You know, that origin story exercise that we did just a couple of minutes ago, where I asked you to think about a personal hero that you have. Well, for many of your patients, that's you. You're the person that they might think about. For many people in your own life, they might be having silent imaginary conversations with you where you are somebody that guides them through the most challenging moments of their life. And they might never think to tell you this, but the truth is you've probably saved more lives than you can recognize. And so I want you to remember that you are already a superhero in real life. So please keep superheroing and don't forget your cape. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, simply a superb presentation. I think all of us need it uh, to feel our superheroes and and to choose one. I have about three or four that someday I'll share. Um, I really appreciate it. And your journey and what you have done is just simply amazing. So again, thank you. Thank you uh, I, We have some uh, questions in, in the and uh, A. Uh, and thank you, Ken also for, uh, for uh, bringing Dr. Scarlett to us this morning. I think everyone is, was quite in need of, of, uh, of a superhero, and, and you're a superhero, Dr. Scarlett. Thank you. From uh, one of our psychologists, uh, Emily Wakefield, um, Thank you, Dr. Scarlett, for this amazing presentation. I'm seeing more and more children and adolescents engaging in role play or, uh, or cosplay. Do you see role playing as a helpful activity in the context of superhero therapy? Or could it possibly be an avoidance, avoidance strategy? That's the question.
2: Yeah, and I think that's it, right? is What is the function of it? I think anything, watching television shows and cosplaying, which means dressing up in costumes as our favorite characters, uh, playing video games can all be either a core value or it can be an avoidance strategy. The biggest question is, what is it for? Some people do it to unwind, which is perfectly understandable. We all like to unwind sometimes, but sometimes people do it just so that they don't feel Some people might mindlessly play Call of Duty, which is a first-person shooter game, uh, to avoid how they feel. But the truth is a lot of people do just the opposite. They might play that same game so that they can play with their friends, so that they can achieve the next goal in the game. And that is when it tends to be adaptive. And so a particular activity can be very helpful if it brings an individual closer to their goals, uh, their core values, like, for example, uh, playing with their friends. Now, during the pandemic, there are so many people that are playing different kinds of video games with their friends worldwide um, and are finding new sources of connection in this way. And... So I think that having an understanding of what the person is doing and also why they're doing it, what what kind of a value is it bringing? If somebody tells me that their child or their student is playing a video game for eight hours a day or is cosplaying, my first question is, what is the function of this? So I might ask that person, what game are you playing? Or who's the character that you're cosplaying? Tell me more about that. What do you like about it? And that can allow us to better understand our clients, to better engage with them, and to learn about what they're getting from this particular activity. When people cosplay or role play, that's actually very adaptive because it brings up their imagination. A lot of times it allows them to connect with other people. And it might allow them to take on a part of their personality that they might otherwise be struggling to embrace. So I'll actually tell you a little case study if that's okay. Uh, A few years ago, I was working with a client, uh, this was an adult client actually, um, who came in to see me for social anxiety. She self-identified as mousy. These were her words. She kind of, you know, sat in a really kind of demure posture and talked really quietly. And she said that she was the only woman in her workplace and the only person who hadn't gotten a raise in several years. But when I asked her what kind of activities she liked, what kind of movies, television shows she liked, she said she really liked television shows and movies. She liked Star Wars. That was a big thing that she was really into. And she liked cosplaying. And she said that her favorite character to cosplay and <clears throat> and to, um, uh, to, to watch was Kylo Ren from the Star Wars trilogy. So Kylo Ren is the main villain in the latest Star Wars trilogy. And so when I asked her what she liked about Kylo Ren, she said, I like that he gets angry and the truth is she was someone that was told that women are not allowed to get angry, that she wasn't allowed to stand up and speak up for herself. And so we actually used it. We used the fact that she is already a Kylo Ren cosplayer and somebody that really liked this character to practice channeling her inner Kylo Ren, to practice embracing her dark side, but without killing people and, uh, and to allow her to practice assertiveness. And so a few months later, she actually asked her boss for a raise And she got it. And so to celebrate, she actually ended up going to Disneyland and making herself her very own Kylo Ren lightsaber and continues cosplaying as different kinds of characters, which now allows her, instead of having a separation between her work self and her cosplay self, to take the strength that she gets from cosplaying and bring it into her workplace.
0: That's a fantastic story. And I appreciate you for sharing it. From uh, uh, one of our psychiatrists, Dr. Saul, in uh, what way could pediatricians utilize superhero therapy in their day-to-day practice as kids are coming in?
2: Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, I think one thing is asking kids about who's your favorite superhero and what you like about them. This is true for clients of any age, right? You can use this for the adults too. What do you like about them? And if you could use any kind of a superpower, what kind of a superpower would you use and why? Asking these questions can allow us to understand what is it the client really values so that we can help them to become their own version of let's say Batman or Wonder Woman, right? We can ask them to think about if they could become a superhero what would they do with that superpower and we can um, then come up with certain strategies where that person can engage in a similar kind of way for example by helping their community Um, and for kids especially putting on uh, a batman cape and helping the members of their community can be really empowering I've actually had adult clients put on superhero capes too uh, so it's not just for kids Um, but I think um, having that kind of an understanding of why people like certain things that they like and what can we extrapolate from that as a strength can be really powerful.
0: Perfect. Thank you. One, um, one of the questions here is, uh, If are you aware of any randomized clinical trials or other studies on the efficacy of superhero therapy?
2: Thank you. Yes. So there are a number of studies related to something called parasocial relationships, which means one sided relationships that people form with fictional characters, um, sometimes also referred to as social surrogacy, because it's a social surrogacy that people form with fictional characters with where fictional characters become a surrogate parent, friend or a support group. And so far the field is very green, but so far what we're seeing is that, uh, people who experience trauma are more likely to turn to fiction than to their classmates, for example, for support that many feel more understood by fictional characters who've been through something traumatic. Um, what we're seeing, Is that people who write about a beloved fictional character report feeling less lonely after rejection or a heartbreak compared to people who are writing about an academic achievement. And there are several research studies on the way now specifically focused on superhero therapy itself. Uh, One in um, Ohio and one in Australia, actually. Uh, And there was one just completed in India that I believe has showed that superhero therapy can be very helpful at increasing um, self-compassion in college students. Um, In Ohio, the... um, Random. uh, The study is being done to look at how superhero therapy can help children to understand their anxiety and depression. And in Australia, it's being run to help children uh, be more compliant with their diabetes medication. So um, those studies are with uh, my specific modality. Uh, But we're starting to see more and more studies about just incorporating pop culture or video games into therapy and how helpful that can be for clients.
0: Thank you. Um, it, it question. This is my my own question. And uh, you know, as we in the past four years, um, uh, throughout our history, we've seen some, you know, some horrific things that have happened to children. Um, one of the things we we saw uh, recently was the uh, immigrant children from on the southern border who uh, who went uh, who suffered tremendously as they were as they were, you know taken or put away or taken away from their parents. And, and uh, it, so in, in situations like that, can you comment on, on on the culturally appropriate superhero? Because they may have different ones that are not necessarily yeah, yeah. the ones that are in, in American culture. Uh, can you comment on that?
2: Absolutely. And I, I like to ask clients uh, if there are any heroes that they like, if there are any movies, television shows, video games, comic books that they like. Um, actually, people worldwide tend to really know and like Harry Potter and Avengers and Star Wars, so I think you'll never go wrong with those. Batman's a popular one too, so I think just about you know uh, people worldwide nowadays know these characters. Um, But I also uh, just invite clients to talk about what they're interested in. For example, a lot of people are really interested in anime, kind of a a Japanese-style animation television shows, which um, I'm starting to learn more about and watch more of, but the truth is I'm not an expert in it, and so, when I don't know what my client is talking about again, I invite them to tell me. So, I ask the client to tell me about their favorite episode, their favorite character, and tell me about what that character would say or do if they were in a room with them, what that character has been through when they had been they they had experienced the loss because I think just about every major hero of any story had experienced the loss. And so we can invite our client to go on a journey alongside with their beloved hero, even if we don't know very much about who that hero is. And I think by being open-minded and curious, we can learn more about our client's culture, about their particular interest, and about their hero.
0: Thank you very much. i uh, gotten a lot of comments uh, that uh, this has been one of the best grand rounds. Dr. Ted Rosencrantz, who's one of our seasoned neonatologists, said this is the best grand rounds he's heard, and Ted has heard a lot of grand rounds. So Ted, thank you for that comment, and I appreciated uh, many other very positive comments. So this will be well received. It is taped for, for those of you who want to, um, you know, have a, a real strong message during the, this difficult time that we're facing here in our nation. Uh, so again, Dr. Scarlett, I appreciate you getting up at uh, early morning hours in, in San Diego. And uh, of course, now you get to enjoy the beautiful weather there, I'm sure. And, uh, and so, again, really greatly appreciated for a fantastic Grand Rounds. To all of you, uh, great to have you. Uh, just a, a message that we will have a two-week break from Grand Rounds for the holidays. Happy Hanukkah, happy, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to all of you. We'll reconvene on January 5th, uh, 2021. My goodness. We're going into 21. Everyone's looking forward to changing that number to 21. That will be our superhero, 21, <laughs> for for each one of us. So thank you. Uh, please be safe. Uh, get the vaccine as soon as you can. Uh, keep posted. We will be here on Friday for Ask the Experts uh, and and then move forward through the holidays. So again, take care. And thank you, Dr. Scarlett. Thank you, Ken, for bringing a great speaker to us. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you.